Good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Please stand as we enter into worship.
Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How are we doing today? Everybody ready for March? February, like, blinks away from me. But March is good, because that's when my birthday is, so I'm happy. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries, and I just want to welcome you here to our church this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. First things first, I want to draw your attention. If you open up your bulletin, look right on the inside there, you'll notice there's a space for you to give us a little information about yourself. We here at La Jolla Community Church are a community that believes in the power of prayer, that believes in coming together and rejoicing with one another in the things that God is doing in our lives. So if you wouldn't mind tearing that bad boy off and just taking a moment while I'm giving the announcements, I do not mind if you're writing while I talk. It is totally good. But just write a little bit about what's going on in your life. What do you need prayer for? What would you like to praise the Lord for? We firmly, firmly believe in the power of coming together and lifting each other up to bring glory to God. So we have a dedicated team of prayer warriors that go over every single prayer, that go every single prayer praise report, and just lift them up to God and partner in you and what is going on in your life. So if you please would just take a moment, tear that off, and then in a couple of moments, the ushers are going to come by with the offering. And if you just want to drop that right in the offering basket, we would happily, happily, happily love to pray with you and for you. Speaking of doing things together, uh, we got a few announcements coming up. First announcement is the annual woman's tea. Ladies, if you have a friend who's never been to church, gentlemen, if you know a lady who would enjoy coming to this, this Saturday, March 7th from 11 to 1, it's $25 a person, $15 for children ages 5 to 12. It is going to be a fantastic opportunity for the ladies of LJCC, of UTC, of La Jolla to come together and just support and lift up one another. I don't know if you're in a season where you're struggling, you maybe don't feel God, or, or you're not sure where he is in your life or what he has for you. This is a perfect opportunity for you to just get recharged. Or maybe you're in a place where you're like, wow, God's doing a lot in my life, and I just want to celebrate and enjoy and share that. Again, this is a perfect opportunity for just the ladies of LJCC to come together, to lift each other up, and just say, hey, God is great, isn't he? So if you know somebody who would benefit from this, please sign up on the table after the service or email Barbara at barbara at ljcc.org. The next event that we have coming up um, is the third annual Easter block party. If you have ever participated, watched, been a part of the Easter block party, it is a fantastic event where we've got hundreds of kids all over this property from, you know, two feet tall to ten feet tall. It's awesome. Um, but in order to get this event to happen, we need your help. So after the services, from now until March 22nd, I'm going to have a basket sitting out front. We need individually wrapped candies and empty plastic Easter eggs. So if God puts that on your heart, you've got some laying around the house, 
uh, what have you. We could really, really use lots of donations. Uh, we need to get thousands of eggs together because I don't know if you've seen the kids pick them up. doesn't matter if we put 1,000 eggs or 10,000 eggs. They clean them up in about 20 seconds. So the more eggs we can get out there, the more we can bless the community and just pour out some love onto the students that go to our preschool here and just attend here in uh, UTC area. So please, if you see that basket, just a reminder, bring some Easter eggs if you can. Uh, last thing I want to mention, earlier this week we had our Ash Wednesday service, and you may notice there was a little handout that we slipped in your bulletin this week. It's got four little prayer stations on there, and they're, they're modified versions of the prayer stations that we put together here during the service. But this is just an opportunity for us to get our hearts right as we go into the Easter season. You can do all four every day, you could do one a week, it is up to you. But this is just a great way for us to say, hey, I want to remove that ick from my life. I want to remove whatever it is separating me from God. I want to remove those anxieties. I want to remove my worries, and I want to put them at the feet of Jesus. So if you, if you didn't get one, there are more uh, at the welcome table as well as in the foyer after the service. But yeah, just take a moment to, to pray with the Lord and say, God, I want to get right with you this Easter season. Uh, at this time, we are going to enter into our time of tithes and offering. Uh, for those of you that are new, please don't feel obligated to give. This is our time as a community of LJCC to thank God for the amazing blessings that he has poured out for us. So we just ask that you look into your heart and you give as God guides you. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful week, God, for the beautiful sun that we got here in San Diego, for the warmth. For a little bit of rain, God, I thank you for just this beautiful season that you've put us here in at La Jolla Community Church. I pray that you would continue to guide us and to lead us, Lord, as we go through our weeks. I thank you for what you have poured out for us this week, God. I pray that as we enter in this time of offering, God, you would remind us who you are. That you are great, that you are glorious, that you are our God, Lord Jesus. Pray that you would take these offerings, Lord, and you would expand them far beyond the scope of what we could even imagine, God. That you would stretch us to a point that your kingdom is being done here, God. That you would help us to seek your kingdom. That we would be a people who faithfully serves because we know you are Lord and you are our God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, what a gift, um, being able to sit in the Lord's presence together, uh, hear people pray for us and over us, uh, be led in that beautiful music. Thank you. Well, um, when it comes to things that matter most in life, are you a both-and person or are you an either-or person? When it comes to the things that matter most in life, are you a, a both-and or an either-or? Uh, I, I can tell you that the hundreds of kids that show up here on that flock party, <laughs> uh, they're all a both-and, for, for sure. I, I've, I've seen it, I've heard it. Would you like the blue egg filled with candy or the yellow egg filled with candy? They're immediately, um, both please, I'll have both please, that's very good. Uh, when it comes to apple pie and ice cream, I am definitely both in. Uh, how about you? Uh, think of all those things that you think, man, I just can't imagine them not going together. Uh, you pair two elements, you make them essential partners, uh, you combine desirable tastes for greater impact. What, is, what else do you need to know about PB and J? If PB walked in the room without J, you'd be concerned. Is everything okay? Everything okay with you and Jay? You know, um, what are the things that for you are absolutely essential both ends? Let me ask you this question. Would you agree it's important to live for today? A lot of nods, okay. Would you agree that it's important to prepare for tomorrow? More nods, same people nodding. Oh, you're sleeping. That's why you're nodding. Okay, my bad. All right, so there you have it, a both end. Uh, why not live for today and prepare for tomorrow. If you have the uh, bulletin that they handed you when you walked in, uh, pick that up and look at the cover, would you? <clears throat> Is that not an awesome cover? Live for today, prepare for tomorrow. I, I love that picture. Uh, seed and soil. Plant today for harvest tomorrow. The ultimate both end. If you don't do it today, it will not happen tomorrow. Uh, uh, Jesus spoke about it this way. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Right? If you're not thinking about building a tower, perhaps you're thinking of baking something. Uh, all bakers know that you don't want to be halfway through up to your elbows in flour and realize, oh no, I don't have an egg. I don't have whatever I need uh, to complete the job. How about this one? Matthew 6.34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This isn't permission for procrastination. It's an urgent call to action. Don't waste today assuming that there will be a tomorrow, right? But don't hope that when you get to tomorrow, what you should have done today and didn't isn't going to matter. Don't worry about tomorrow. Be totally focused on today. But what you focus on today is probably going to make it possible not to have to worry about tomorrow today or when you get there. I love the way um, the writer of Hebrews says it. We don't have a slide for this, but... In Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, sin's deceitfulness is, oh, I'll get serious about God tomorrow. I'll, 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 I'll get there. Uh, it's not that important today. I'll, I'll get there tomorrow. Uh, there's a great old rabbinic story. I guess all rabbinic stories tend to be old. Um, uh, a person comes up to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, um, when should I repent? You know, I, I don't want to miss the Lord's favor. When should I repent? And the rabbi says, well, you should repent the day before you die. And of course, the person says, well, I don't know the day before I will die. Then 
repent today. Right? Some of us live, don't do today what can be put off until tomorrow. Most of us and all of us really ought to rethink that and say, you know, why put off tomorrow what I need to do uh, today? Why? Well, because we don't just arrive at a desired future. Uh, we're creating it one day at a time. Uh, the future isn't something you arrive at one day, and there's a big prize waiting for you. Uh, the future is just the accumulation of all the days you've lived. Now, of course, things happen you can't anticipate, and oh my gosh, I didn't think it'd be like this when I got to this point in my life. <clears throat> um, Kep and I were laughing about this this week, about when we were young and skinny, lamenting that we were so skinny. All the people around us said, give it time. You'll no longer be skinny. And sure enough, though we are skinny in our heads, they were absolutely right, you know. Um, commitments today determine outcomes tomorrow. Planning is important, but preparing is essential. Do you agree with that? Planning is important, but preparation is essential. Uh, this was a very busy week. Every week is massively busy. You know, um, don't you find it interesting that you get to a point in life where, where every week is finals week? When you're in school, you thought, you know, this week is a big, intense week, but man, I got a vacation, I cruise the rest of the semester, the quarter. Every week is finals week. So um, I had a wedding on Tuesday. And we had uh, Ash Wednesday and Wednesday night. We have a service, services today, and I have a memorial service this afternoon. I only planned two of them. I planned Ash Wednesday, and I planned today. Uh, I did not plan the wedding. I didn't plan the funeral. But I've got to be prepared for all of them. I can't show up and not be prepared. I could. I could wing it. But the chances of, of it being what it could or should be uh, are so slim that it would be unfortunate to, to do that, right? Uh, commitments today determine outcomes tomorrow. Planning is important, but pre pre preparation is essential. A marathon requires signing up. I'm good at that. But then shaping up. Not so good on that. Uh, 26 miles requires training, not just trying. You show up and try, try to run a marathon, God bless you. Uh, 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 you'll need it because if you don't train, you're in big trouble. You've got to train today for what you hope to do tomorrow. Um, firemen don't plan fires generally. Um, they prepare to fight them. What do they do in all those endless hours at the fire station down the street? They shine up the machine. You know, they, they cook... Uh, increasingly wearisome meals for people who, said, who keep saying spaghetti again, you know. But what are they really spending their time doing? They don't fight that many fires. They're preparing to fight fires. What do, what do people in the military do? Uh, there's a lot of boredom and a lot of training for a few moments or days of sheer terror, right? They're constantly preparing. What does the, the farmer do? The farmer is constantly anticipating and preparing. Each day matters because the crop depends on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you like going to Disneyland. Uh, have, have you ever seen the parades at Disneyland? Um, there's been a parade going on at Disneyland for the last two years that nobody knows about. Every day for the last two years since, uh, well, the park, after the park closes, a parade happens up and down Main Street. It's going to launch in two weeks. It's called the Magic Happens Parade. They're two weeks away. They're so ready. They're so excited about it. Uh, do you think they're, they're worrying about the parade? No. 
they're completely excited and pumped up about the parade because for two years they've been preparing the Magic Happens Parade. But the, the funny thing to me in the name of it is magic does not just happen. Magic, like they're talking about, prepares. So two weeks from now, if you go to Disneyland, you say, oh, this is an amazing, amazing parade built on the Moana movie. How many of you have seen Moana? How many of you have a two-year-old in your life, a four-year-old in your life? You'll see Moana more times, and you will know the songs and the moves in Moana when you're done with it. Um, so how are you preparing today to grow in the Lord? How are you preparing today to grow in the Lord? It's so easy to come back with, well, I would, but if only. I was thinking about it, however, instead of just saying, yeah, good, good question. Well, I started my day in prayer saying, Lord, thank you for this day. I, I, I picked up my Bible and I read a psalm. And then I had a cup of coffee. And then I got ready for work. And then through the day, I kept stopping to say, Lord, thank you for this day. Or, Lord, please get me through this day. Or, uh, and then I, 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 uh, I got together with some friends, and as we got together, we talked about how life was going, and since it was, it's the beginning of Lent, we were talking about, okay, what, what, what does Lent mean to you, right? And then, then tomorrow, I have a life group. You see here where it goes? How are you preparing today to grow strong in the Lord? It's, it's not, as they say, rocket science. It's a simple commitment, a, a basic decision. And so what does it mean for followers of Jesus to live for today and prepare for tomorrow? Well, we make decisions today to embrace the Lord. We say, today, I'm going to do these things. It might not make much, uh, take much time or make much of an impact today, but, but by getting into those holy habits of reading the Word of God, of praying, of perhaps journaling, reflecting on where you've been and where you want to go and what you're feeling and experiencing in the moment, uh, knowing that I'm going to be with some people who are going to ask me how I'm doing, and so I want to be paying attention to how I'm doing. Oh, there's some people ask me to pray for some things. I'm going to pray for those things. I write them down. Uh, all of a sudden, we start to make decisions today that allow us to embrace and obey God. We invest in learning His ways. We invest in growing in Him. And we find out that for the most part, we don't break a sweat doing it. It's, you just start to do it. I mean, at the end of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, at the end of the day, you go, I'm so exhausted from eating. No, you say, well, you know, I, I ate and, and went on with my day, and I ate, 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 and it was a great day, you know? Uh, we only have those odd days like Thanksgiving when everybody's exhausted. They have, they have turkey-induced coma from eating too much. Um, but really, uh, we align our priorities to honor him and bless people, and they seem to just happen. They seem to be just a natural outcome of the supernatural presence of God in us. And so instead of freaking out, thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get it all together for God today, I can't possibly, I'll, I'll, I'll kick that can down the road. We say, Lord, you've simply invited me into a conversation. This is the beautiful thing about having friends that live close by. You're constantly talking and touching base. Now, certainly you can do that by phone, but we don't tend to. But if, you have, if all of your friends lived on your street, think about how tight you'd be. You wouldn't have to cram it all in. You just see them, hey, and then you stop for a long conversation once in a while or a dinner. It'd be easy. Hey, we're going to eat. Come on over. We don't live like that, right? And we don't live like that with God. We don't think that God lives in the house. God is in the house. He's in your house. He's in your heart. So it's pretty mobile. It's not that hard to say, Lord, I'm going I'm to take a moment for you. I'm going to take an hour for you. I'm going to get some people together and, and, and uh, reflect on what you're doing in us. So really our mission is becoming mature 
fully developed followers of Christ. And not just followers of Christ, but ministers of Jesus Christ. And by preparing ourselves to do that, by the natural things that we do to punctuate our day and our week, when that friend calls you up and says, I don't know how to tell you this, but this horrible thing has happened. Would you pray for me? You don't say, oh, shoot. What would I say? You say, of course, Lord. Be with my friend whom I love dearly. And just that is a ministry. Or I'm coming over right now. Or I'm going to make you dinner so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, what do you need? No, I'm fine. Everything is great. But thank you for asking. Right? It's these sorts of responses that are baked into us that we have so prepared to do this. I, I, I've, I've taken the CPR classes. Is that what they call it, CPR? Yeah, cardiopulmonary pulmonary resuscitation. Um, but I wouldn't know how to do it. Why? Because I'm not staying current, right? But some of you are on that stuff, and if somebody just had a heart attack here, you'd be right on it. You'd know what to do. You'd call 911 and leave. I don't know what you'd do, but, um, you, but you'd know what to do. This is what it looks like when we're constantly walking with God and eating the normal meals spiritually, that, that, that are available to us. This is the beautiful thing about when people are in that mode, they're not perfect people, but they're prepared people. And they become people who are resources to everybody around them. Uh, as it says in one of my favorite movies, you are a river to your friends. You're a river to your friends. You, you, you refresh your friends. And so preparation takes time, but the only time we have is today. So why not do it today? Why not do it today? We take God seriously today. I love the way Zechariah said it. Hayom hazeh asa Adonai. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I love the fact that Isaiah in the temple having this overwhelming experience of God's presence in the temple uh, is so blown away. His only response is, Hineni, here I am. Send me. I'm here. I'm yours. What do you need? Put me in, coach. Only then probably realizing, what have I done? I have no idea what to do. But God then told him what to do and how to do it. So it begins by submitting ourselves to the Lord. That, that just simply means saying, yes, Lord, your will be done. I want to figure out how to live life your way. I want to understand how you do things. I want to receive the resources you want to give to me. Not only for my own benefit, but to benefit and bless other people. Lord, I want the answers to the questions I'm asking that you want to give me. Otherwise, I'll invent my own narrative, and it's a scary narrative when I invent it. When I invent the narrative, everybody's to blame. Everybody's holding out on me, or it's always my fault, or whatever your, your narrative becomes. His narrative becomes something very much different and very much better, and it becomes part of your narrative. So we're nourished and nurtured in God's Word and Spirit, and we get to do this individually and in community. It's not just on you to save the world. In fact, it's not on you at all to save the world. If you've ever read that wonderful book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first, the first line, the first sentence, it's not about you. So you don't have to be the savior or the martyr. You just get to be part of God's narrative. It's not about you, but it includes you. He is writing you into that narrative, and he'll provide everything you need to be part of that incredible plot of God's redemption of this world. So let's do a quick sample of some survey, uh, some, some scripture here. Uh, Jeremiah 
Jeremiah the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, says, uh, as if God's speaking, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. God will provide people to guide us and to lead us and mentor us, to counsel us, to equip us. Don't worry, Luke. I'm sending Yoda. I'm, I'm sending Obi-Wan. Right? There will be people who will help you achieve your mission and complete it. Uh, Jeremiah, again, now speaking for himself, later in, in that wonderful book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he says, when your words came, I ate them. Isn't that a great visual? I ate those words. They were so good. Have you ever gotten a, a, a letter from home when you've been far away? Have you ever gotten a letter from a sweetheart? Again, I'm referring to you only on this one. Um, have you ever gotten a letter from a sweetheart and you want to read it over and over and over again? A letter from home, you want to read it over and over and over again. You're eating it. You're feasting on it. You're being nourished and restored by it, right? It's assuaging your thirst. It's maybe, it's maybe filling that void that makes you feel so lonely. This is the picture here. I was eating your words. It was a feast. It was a luxury. Um, nothing more fun than eating ice cream with a two-year-old. It looks so good on them. It just looks happy all over them because they're not just eating it. They're experiencing it, right? They are part of the ice cream at that point. This is what Jeremiah is saying. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, exactly what I needed. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. This is it, see? You belong to him. His name is imprinted on you. You are his beloved son and daughter by faith in him. He wants you to be prepared to experience the fullness of his legacy he is entrusting to you. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is in response to Satan saying, hey, I can provide all your needs. And he goes, are you kidding me? You can provide none of my needs. John 6, 51, in, in John's gospel, he quotes Jesus saying this, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, this was used against the early church by the people who couldn't stand the idea that they believed that there was a God who loved us and cared enough for us to enter into the world to establish justice and righteousness and redeem it. And so they said, well, you know, Christians are a big problem. They, they're cannibals. They eat people and drink blood. And this is a perverse uh, way of, of discounting this movement that was sweeping through the Roman world. Acts, a description written by a physician, Luke, to, about all that was happening among people who were coming to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He describes it this way, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? They were being nourished and nurtured on the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They were doing it around a table, eating together. They had a fan, I think it's the ultimate combination. A long, leisurely meal with people I love is so much fun. Just hanging out, laughing, talking, telling stories. And the same stories you tell over and over get better and better. Right? Paul, writing to his young protege, Timothy, a, a pastor in Ephesus, a very tricky assignment that Paul has given him. Timothy feels overwhelmed and unprepared, but he, Paul reminds him, you are prepared. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. You've been preparing and preparing and preparing, Timothy, and now it's game on. You have everything you need to do what you've been called to do. 
Uh, Peter, the, the apostle of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, now a pastoral presence, writing to all these followers of Christ all over the place. He says in a letter, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You must be nurtured. Nothing more beautiful, tender, more intimate than watching a baby being nursed, right? Or holding a baby and, and, and feeding it a bottle. I mean, oh my gosh. And just that nurture that the child feels, not only the food, the warmth of the food, but the warmth of the touch and the, and the warmth of the voice, you know, cooing out those words of love and encouragement. But we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. And so the writer of Hebrews is, is speaking uh, in a way that is chastising a, a number of people who say that they walk with God but are too busy to take time to be nourished and nurtured by Him. And their, their superficiality and their shallowness shows. They become just sh reflections of the culture, not reflections of Christ. And so he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, not in a formal sense, but the fact that you ought to be just naturally influencing people around you for Christ, not haranguing them, but just by being present to them and giving them words of hope that come out of your hope in Christ. By now you should be doing that, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You've been a perpetual baby. Grow up. Because honestly, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. This is not some kind of inside secret knowledge or teaching. He's saying, until you get old enough, you don't know right from wrong. You don't know how to discern good from bad. You don't understand the either-ors or the both-ands of life. Nothing more wonderful than to seeing a child who, who isn't developed morally, right? Who they just kind of do what they feel like doing. See that child developing to where they, they start to make principled decisions of things, of things. They start to make choices based on values that they've been inheriting and internalizing. That's a powerful, beautiful movement we see when a child says, you know, this is the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Righteousness is just being able to live out your faith in practical ways. It means not being an expert on everything, but just understanding what it means to be present in Christ in the face of any and every challenge you face. Uh, somebody years ago called me up and they said, hey, um, we haven't met, but we have a mutual friend, and um, he's been a mentor to me and a friend to you. I'm, I'm uh, uh, CEO of a massive biopharma company, and uh, we're going through uh, an attempt at hostile takeover, and it's just a mess and zillions of dollars are at stake, and yet we're, we're having to lay off hundreds of people. I'm like, why would you call me? I don't know anything about that. I said, well, our, our, our mutual friend thought it would be good to sit down and talk with you. I said, okay, sure, let's get together. So really, I'm thinking, I, can, I don't know what I could possibly offer this guy. So I said, well, what's the issue that I can help you with? He said, well, as we do what we're going to do, how should we do it? I said, well, you know, you have a big HR department. I'm going to follow all the rules and regulations. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, so what are you looking for? And he goes, I don't know. I just, it's going to be an ugly, horrible situation. I said, well, how about this? You believe in prayer? He said, well, yeah, kind of. I said, well, then kind of pray. <laughs> and that God would show you how to help those people feel like somebody cared about them in this process. You can't change the facts, but you can be present in the process in a way that might somehow communicate to these people somebody cares about them. Now, that is just simple, practical righteousness, right? I didn't have to know anything about the complexities of this financial situation of the, of the company. 
it just, in a sense, becomes common sense when we're prepared to say, well, what would God want to do? He'd want people to know that this is what's true, this is what's happening, and this is how we care about you. People will still be upset, it'll be messy, some people will be angry and hostily responsive and blaming you for everything, but most people are going to walk away, and in fact, in this situation, they did. Hundreds of people walked away saying, you know what, and I... I um, uh, a person who went through this was in the last service. They, they said, you know what? I felt like somebody cared about me. How often does that happen when, when companies go through difficult situations? Why? Because when you're immature, you hide behind what the law says you have to do and can not have to do. Instead of saying, what would it be like to administer what the law says is appropriate, what the de- situation demands, and do it in a way that a person would feel somehow like somebody cared. That's what righteousness is. God cares. We care. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You don't have to be a genius or a know-it-all. You just simply have to be present because you are prepared. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's our food too. When God is in our life, doing his will becomes the most satisfying way to live. Do we always get it right? No. But just wanting to do it makes things right. So what do we gain by eating and exercising right? Uh, What do we become? What can we do? Well, what we gain is strength and flexibility and endurance, just like what you gain when you work out. You know, a great workout produces strength and flexibility, range of motion, and endurance. Uh, So I've been told. And then, what do we become? Well, we become aware of God and His movement in our life. We become ready, alert, informed, curious, motivated, aware. And then what can we do? Well, we're prepared to do whatever God tells us to do, calls us to do. It's amazing that when we show up prepared, that is, prepared to listen to Him and lean on Him, for our understanding, not pretending to know it all or trying to fake it like we do, but just having been immersed in him and marinating in him over time. When we show up in a situation that we didn't plan and we can't control, what happens? We have this sense of peace that passes understanding that allows us to say, okay, Lord, what should I do? Well, maybe I should start by caring about the people. Maybe I should continue by praying that somehow I could convey God's love and grace and mercy that I could be courageous enough to speak God's truth, that I could look for God's redemptive purposes in this really hard situation, that I'd be willing to be in touch with my own emotions enough to cry with people or laugh with people as as appropriate. So being spiritually alive and healthy combines three essential elements for greater impact. This is a a both-and, a multi-and, if you will. The first is this, biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom. Biblical knowledge, it leads to wisdom. Just knowing Bible stuff is a necessary first step, but it's not the ultimate step. It's the first step. Why? Because you can know the Bible and still get it wrong. You can take it out of context. You can misapply it. Uh, there's this, there's this uh, you know, cultural myth out there that the Bible says whatever you want it to say. That's ridiculous on the face of it. If you read it in its context, you say, well, this is what it says. There's a myriad ways that we can apply it, yes, and prioritize what our response might might be based on what we're reading in Scripture. But the Scripture itself is pretty clear about what it's saying. Did you have any doubt of those Scriptures I've already read, what they were saying? 
Now, how we might apply that, well, in my case, I did this. Well, well, I did this. You go, okay, great. Same scripture. We agree on the content of the message and the meaning, but we've found different ways to uh, apply it given the situation. So biblical knowledge is the content out of which God fashions and forms our character, our being, to where we have wisdom. So scripture is our foundational text, and the biblical disciplines and practices that we find there shape us, and they make us wise in the ways of God. In our culture, knowledge, knowledge correlates to power. In our culture, knowledge correlates to power. I know stuff you don't know, and I'm going to use it. In the Bible, knowledge always correlates to righteousness. What's the rightest way to handle this content, this, this knowledge? A bunch of people bring a woman caught in adultery. They set her up for it, actually. They then accuse her publicly. This woman was caught in adultery, Jesus, and you know uh, the punishment is death. What are you going to do? He starts writing on the ground. And then he looks at them all and he says, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And it says, they all started leaving from the oldest to the youngest, from the wisest to the least wise. They were trying to use their knowledge of her situation as power. He was using wisdom to say, let's put this in a a larger context, what you've done to betray this woman, to set her up for something that is humiliating. What does he do to her? He turns to her and says, "Um, go and sin no more. He deals with it, but he deals with it in a way that is wise. This is the power of, 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 of our capacity to apply knowledge so that God is glorified and people are blessed. Do you follow this? It's not knowing the Bible backwards and forwards perfectly. It's, it's, it's knowing the Bible well enough to say, you know, um, let's, let's do this. Powerful, powerful, powerful when you start to move from biblical knowledge, but that starts to become the wisdom of God at work in you. You have that capacity in you right now probably. If you've read the Bible at all, you have this capacity. This capacity can be deepened and strengthened and expanded because you then will be the person somebody will call and say, can we talk about this? I need some help on this. You'll immediately go, I don't know everything. I didn't call because I think you know everything. But I call because I think you're wise in what you know. I love it when I meet a wise 8-year-old, a wise 18-year-old, a wise 38-year-old, a wise 98-year-old. I lament and it hurts my heart when I meet a foolish child, a foolish teenager, a foolish adult. It gets worse when I meet a foolish adult who is wealthy and powerful and connected and clueless. They make such a disaster of everything they touch, thinking their power gives them the right to just flail. Our knowledge of God, turning into the wisdom of God, gives us the right to glorify Him and bless people in His name. Okay, that leads us to the second thing, personal growth that leads to emotional maturity. What does that mean? Well, it means as we, as we submit ourselves to God and become conversant and knowledgeable about His Word and we start to see the wisdom of God developing our frame of reference and our perspective on things. We start to see him coaxing out issues in us that need attention. And over time, we learn to love God. We learn to love ourselves. We learn to love others. We, we develop the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We start to develop greater EQ 
Empathy, morality, freedom, confidence, responsibility, and blessing. You notice it said morality. Morality is an emotional issue. Morality is an emotional issue. It means I'm going to give my heart to what is right. That's why people often, when they're acting out of their head, do immoral things. This is right enough because it assures my power. How do we get it? Well, how do we get emotional maturity? We earn it. <laughs> we earn it in the sense that we're, we're mentored. We, we put in the time to let somebody mentor us and guide us. A good coach corrects us. A good coach is not your best friend while you're learning how to swing a golf club. They're annoying when they're trying to teach you tennis. They're aggravating when they're doing you, helping you do anything that is important. Why? Because they care about the outcome. And therefore, you submit yourself to the process. In a sense, you earn the skill you develop under their tutelage. They can't learn it for you, but they can guide you. Good counseling, a wise, godly marriage and family therapist or clinical psychologist or psychiatrist is a gift from God and is a tool in the hands of God, teaching us emotional maturity. There's some very wise people, smart people, I should say, about Scripture who are very unwise in the way they live it. What they need is some good counseling. But oftentimes they've come to the conclusion in reading the Bible that, well, if I was really faithful to God, I wouldn't need counseling. Somehow the idea of counseling undermines the integrity of God's Word. Are you kidding me? The whole Bible is therapeutic if you take it seriously. What is repentance and confession other than saying, can we be real about who you are and what you do? So putting ourselves in situations that stretch us is how we develop emotional maturity. Here's a big one. One example, listening for understanding rather than ammunition. You know people in your life and you're with them that you know they're listening for ammunition. They're listening for something they can use to ding you to hold against you, to do some kind of a verbal jujitsu on you. Uh, a well-known person, an infamous person in history, Cardinal Richelieu, serving Louis the Sun God, would boast and say, give me seven words spoken by any innocent man and I can convict him. Now, this happens in Washington every day. People just take something out of context and they use it to make a point that you think, there's no point. What was that all about? They're listening for ammunition, not for understanding. When was the last time you heard a politician say, I'm listening to understand. Do I understand this? Is this your heart in this? Is this your thinking in this? Versus it's just an attack, an attack, an attack. Well, you just said, well, you didn't say. We do this in marriages. We do this in families. Why do kids not talk to their parents sometimes? You'll use it against me. Why do spouses not fess up about what they're wrestling with? Because you'll use it against them. Why do parents wonder, gosh, when, when, when is my kid going to turn and say, it was your fault? We do this in the workplace. We do it everywhere. And it's a sign of our emotional immaturity, listening for ammunition rather than listening for understanding. So what does wisdom give us? Authority. What does emotional maturity give us? Credibility. People will trust us if we have emotional maturity. They will trust you when they have a problem. They'll trust you when they have a need. They'll trust you when they need counsel and advice. Which leads us to the third area, the third element that needs to be combined together. Ministry skills that lead to missional impact. This just means the simple, obvious thing. Your informed effort for God makes life better for people. For you to take skills that you learn from God, prayer, care, compassion, empathy, Seeing needs and learning how to respond to it. Kathy Webster, sitting here at the last service, five days a week, she and a bunch of people in this church feed the homeless. 
five days a week, year in and year out, they feed homeless people, most of whom are severely mentally ill. They do partnerships with Salvation Army and, and figure out other ways to coordinate their efforts with other people trying to help people in desperate need. That's ministry skill for missional impact. Well, when did making sandwiches or cooking casseroles become ministry skill? You know, it's seeing a need and responding to it in some very practical ways. That's a ministry skill that has a missional impact. Andrew, prison. Andrew's out of prison today. I'm so stoked. Well, he's in prison a couple of weekends a month anyway, right? And so he's, he goes to prison on our behalf and with other people. He leads Bible studies. And he helps people have hope in dark places. That's a ministry skill that has a missional impact. And I could pick out others of you with, with lots of stories in this room right now that represent that. You reflect God's presence at work in you in ways that inspire people, influence them, equip them, serves them, helps them, blesses them. In Jesus' name. And you create a social, spiritual impact. That's what ministry skill with missional impact does. Somebody has hope that didn't have hope. Somebody has clothes that didn't have clothes. Somebody has freedom that didn't have freedom. Somebody has an advocate that doesn't have an advocate. Somebody has food, education. Somebody has faith in Christ that they didn't know existed, was available to them. It's the fruitfulness that comes from abiding in Christ. It's our legacy. It's our heritage. It's the natural convergence of these things. Biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom, personal growth that leads to emotional maturity. Coming together with ministry skills produces missional impact. This is why the church uh, has been so powerful in the world. Not a bunch of well-intended people trying to earn their way to God. A bunch of people whose lives have been so turned upside down by the living God that they say, Lord, what can I do uh, to bless other people as I have been and I am being blessed? It's fruitfulness that comes from abiding in Christ. It's eating right and developing strength to serve well. You can't do this if you don't start preparing today. When you speak at community Bible study, you just step up and say, Lord, I know you'll inspire me. If you stood up without any preparation at community Bible study and, and your last prayer before you stepped up was, Lord, speak to me, you know what he would say? You're not prepared. Instead, what he says, you say, Lord, speak to me, speak through me. You say, thank you for preparing. I have a lot to say today. This is the beauty for every single one of us, however we express this. So here's my last final uh, big announcement and uh, word of encouragement to you. The buffet is open. The buffet is open. How, how many of you have ever been to McSorley's Tavern in New York City? Okay, I want to know more about you people because you're the people I want to hang out with. McSorley's Tavern is this classic old little tiny tavern in New York City where Abraham Lincoln used to hang out. Uh, it's been open all the way through Prohibition. It's just, it's just a fascinating vestige uh, in amber. It's just a fascinating feature of New York City. And every once in a while, some national magazine or newspaper will do a special uh, little interview thing on McSorley's Tavern. Um, but one time uh, I was escorting Janet there, and... Um, we went into McSorley's Tavern, and the guy who's the bartender who's been there for like 40 years is a crack-up. He's so funny, 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 funny. And um, in fact, Mike Maywood has been thrown out of McSorley's Tavern. Mike Maywood was sitting with some other physicians at McSorley's Tavern, not drinking beer enough, 
fast enough or enough, and the guy came up and kicked him out of the place. You're out of here because you're not drinking enough beer. Um, uh, as we're talking to the guy, all of a sudden he says, oh, excuse me, and, and some food had come up. There's two guys sitting at the bar, and so he walks over, he gets the food, he brings it down, and he plunk, plunks the, the plates on the bar, and he, he yells out to the whole place, Buffet open! Now think about how funny that is. That's crazy. Because the two guys all of a sudden go to protect their plates. You know, they're like, what is he doing? This is our little, you know. And everybody in the bar is looking over like, oh, hey, great. And it's a joke, right? But for us, it's not a joke. The buffet is open. It's a massive buffet that God is laying out for us. There's no punchline to it. I'm oh, just kidding. There's two guys trying to have lunch. It's truly the case that we are unnecessarily underfed and starving and whining and moaning about it. And it's our own choice not to come to the table. The buffet, personal Bible study, life groups, youth groups, Sunday school, community Bible study, Bible study fellowship, retreats, conferences, online theology classes, mission trips, mentoring, coaching, counseling, reading Christian classics, reading current books that direct us to understand the Bible and how to apply it better. We have no excuse to say, I'm not being fed. Let's banish that crazy phrase, an irresponsible phrase, I'm not being fed. Better to replace it with the truth. I'm feeling really lazy. I want people to make me happy. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm bored and I've, I've kind of been doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working. Any ideas for me? Yeah, yeah. Take a fresh approach to feeding yourself. You ever come home and go, ah, there's nothing to eat. What you mean is there's nothing I really want to eat. There's nothing I feel like eating. You got to get creative or go shopping. We have no excuse to say I'm not being fed. If we want more to eat, it's available. If you are hungry at all for the things of God, if you want to be prepared to grow strong in Him, there is no lack of nourishment available to you. We will do anything and everything possible to get you a seat at the table. And we'll start at the table here today. On the night that he was betrayed, after a very wonderful long dinner with his disciples, Jesus took some bread. He blessed it and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, later in that meal, uh, he took a cup of wine. It's a cup that to this day uh, is part of the Passover meal, the Seder meal. That Seder just means order. And it's, it's poured and put on the table, and nobody ever touches it. Because it's only meant to be consumed uh, when the Messiah comes. And Jesus took that cup, and he blessed that cup, and said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of a new covenant on your behalf. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. So we come into his presence to receive the bread and the cup. Uh, sometimes this is called the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's called Holy Communion. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Uh, three different terms, uh, all of them out of 1 Corinthians 11. Three different terms for the same thing, looking at it from different angles. Uh, what we want to do is to open our hearts and minds to the Lord and receive his grace, his mercy, to learn to walk with him and to feast on him so that we can not only enjoy him, and be filled and satisfied in him, but we would be prepared uh, to, to continue. When he says, continue to do this, whenever you do this, in remembrance of me.
So when, when I want to invite those who are serving communion to come forward and to take the bread and the cup, and they're going to position themselves around the room. And so when you come up to them, they will say something like this, this is Christ's body given for you. And by the way, we say Christ's body given for you or, or sacrificed for you. We don't say Christ's body broken for you. Why? Because his body was not broken. Uh, when Jesus died, uh, they took him off the cross. Uh, if he had not died, they would have broken his legs so he would have suffocated. But in this case, he was dead. So th the prophecy is that, that he, would, he'd be, he was the perfect sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus' life given for you, sacrificed for you. And, and so they'll say, take this in his name. So Lord Jesus, we come into your presence. For those who don't know you yet, I pray that they would open their hearts and their minds to you right now. That they would invite you into their life as Savior and Lord. They would confess your need, their need for, for your absolute grace. Lord, for those who feel far from you and feel unworthy, I pray that you would, you would reinforce in their hearts and their minds that they are welcome at this table, that they could come and receive Holy Communion. That all of us, Lord, coming whatever state we're in, would know that we come into your presence as beloved sons and daughters by faith. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Come whenever you're.
I hope you've been, you've been encouraged by what you've heard, sung, and prayed, and spoken today. If we can pray for you, for anything that concerns you or anybody in your world, uh, Mike Hedman uh, and his team around the corner in the prayer garden would be happy to have a brief prayer with you before you go. You can tell them what you want prayer for, or just say, pray for me, uh, and they will. Uh, this is a great gift to give yourself uh, as you uh, have a heart for what God is doing in you and around you and for others. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, giving you his love, his peace, his mercy, his power, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>